electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, educate, teach. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Hey, listen, when things go awry in this market, they go awry. Big. Today was a go-ride big day. Dow plunged 647 points. S&P plummeted 2.08%. NASDAQ nosedive 2.48%. Because the market couldn't absorb all the negatives at once. Let's talk about some of the negatives, at least as perceived by investors. I want to start with the election. Going to the election, the conventional wisdom was that there'd be a real red wave, a real Republican sweep, because the opposition almost always wins big in the midterms, and voters don't exactly like rampant inflation. Wall Street wanted a big GOP win. Look, they're seen as the party capital. That's why the market had been rallying furiously for the last few days. And while the Republicans still picked up seats in the House, they did much worse than expected. There's so much money out there run by machines, but those machines do get confused. A confused machine is a selling machine. We saw selling from the get-go, especially in the oils. Oh, my. Which no doubt would have benefited from fossil fuel-loving Republicans. And I like the oils, by the way. I actually bought one today for the charitable trust. Even as the market generally likes to divide a government because it means we're looking for two years of gridlock in Congress. Plus, over the last 90 years, you know the markets rallied 100% of the time over the eight months after the midterms? Didn't matter today, though. But that's okay. It's not eight months. Second shocker. Last night, we got a big disappointment from one of the most visible, family-friendly companies on Earth, Walt Disney. All right, so let's talk about the stock of Disney. show started in 2005. I've been recommending this stock as a way for parents to get their kids involved in the market for decades. I can't go back on that. You know, I even have a, one physical share of Disney hanging in my office to remind me that it is a must-own. It is a big position for my travel trust. It's been like this forever. But last night, Disney let its shareholders down. As we told investing club members, and I quote, we are shocked and stunned by the poor performance, and we're certainly not alone, end quote. 
You rarely see this kind of 13% this oh my god, 13% decline in a single day for an old line blue chip growth company. Embarrassing. Now we got a lot of glib positives from CEO Bob Chapek on Chapek on a conference call. If you read the release and you listen to the conference call, it sounded like the quarter was a huge win. So much that you think the stock deserved to be up 13%. Classic misdirection from someone who's either clueless or crazy. Like we told the investing club, and I quote again, the execution here has been so woeful, but we don't want to leave the franchise because nothing has changed in terms of Disney's ability to make iconic content and create great experiences, end quote. That said, if Disney were an NFL team, I'd say it's time for them to find another coach. Yep, it's time for Chapek to go. If he sticks around, you know what I might not do? Might not mind doing? I might put him on the wall of shame. Yeah, I don't usually call for a CEO's head these days. I become less angry, more relaxed. But I'm I'm real patient with this Chapek fella and, and, and his now broken promises. Unfortunately, the franchise is clearly going backward to the point where the board, even that board must see that. And that means the head coach needs to take the fall for what surely feels like an 0-8 start to the season. Nice guy. Clock has run out, though. When you see a stock as famed in love as that of Disney roll over, it causes people to lose faith in the entire asset class. I'm furious about this as a shareholder scorn. Honestly, if Chapek, listen to, listen to me, okay? If Chapek were to, to, uh, to leave, okay, and they brought in pretty much any competent executive from outside, I bet the stock would rocket higher. And that's what I call an indictment. All right, now another one, another ongoing collapse that people are saying it's going to be the end of the world, but it won't be, but I'm going to tell you about it. The collapse in crypto. Now, I've been waiting for this thing to happen for ages because so many Silicon Valley CEOs have told me that crypto's a con. At best, you can say the whole thing's a game of chance, not skill. At worst, it's Bitcoin Monty. There's no way of valuing these things, and the people who seem to rule the crypto world simply don't deserve our trust or the trust of the very sophisticated investors who tried to cash in on the excitement. Big names in this stuff. I'm not going to blame the likes of Sam Bankman-Fried, the putative king of crypto, and his faltering fund or his FTX exchange, to, what, to which I have to say exchange of what? I will say this. I've begged the government over and over using my platform to get involved in this and regulate these securities. No one has come out harder about this, but it never happened. They never listened. It's almost like the government's taking an attitude of benign neglect. Thank you, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, toward this whole class of assets. I say assets because if they were securities, the SEC might have felt compelled to step in and make, make sure people weren't getting scammed. Instead, it was all caveat emptor. I think we deserve more for the federal government, given that crypto was a $3 trillion market a year ago. Maybe that was the problem. Too many politicians chasing crypto campaign contributions? Too many big sports names? I don't know, celebs? You name it. I wonder how many of the celebs in the major firms are getting called right now, tonight, to find $6 billion to what I hear FTX is trying to call around to get uh, in order, if the Binance deal fails, they have something. Never sure thing. I don't like the situation. Now, the crypto world's less than $800 billion. But that's still a lot of capital and hundreds of total junk coins that could be rendered worthless if the regulators don't at least play traffic cop. And by the way, of course, all the rumor markers who say this is going to bring the whole market down. That's not true. Keep your head tomorrow. For the record, Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, is no longer the J.P. Morgan of crypto. Oh, and the days when he said that he'd get so rich from crypto he'd buy Goldman Sachs? I'm putting that plan officially on hold. Forget acquiring anything, man. He can't even sell his own company. Ugh. And of course... 
Crypto is just the most egregious example of speculation from an investor base that's addicted to gambling. But speculators were annihilated all over the place today. That includes the meme stock by AMC, where we have the CEO on later tonight, and GameStop, the holy grail of speculation, a stock that's totally unhinged from what's happening at the underlying company, which has very little going for it. If you ever say anything negative about GameStop, like when I called in from my hospital bed to warn people to sell it back when it was about, uh, let's put it, 400 well, I didn't want anyone to lose money. The investor base will hound you to death. Now, I don't blame anyone for wanting to stay off their radar. They are vicious. They wrecked my mentions column on Twitter, just destroyed it. Maybe I shouldn't have been looking at my mentions to begin with, but I used to like to interact with people because I'm a friendly fella. But it got abominable when the memesters came after me, and I don't see that getting better under Elon Musk. In the end, these speculative stories, though, are a sideshow. What's really disheartening is what could happen to the bond market tomorrow if we get a bad consumer price index number. Interest rates have been stable uh, have been stable until we got that result of the weak 10-year Treasury auction. When rates go up, you immediately get this knee-jerk sell-off in virtually everything, but especially in tech. As always, the semis lead the way lower. It really doesn't matter how the companies are doing. The semis are considered growth stocks, and growth stocks get assassinated every time the bond market goes in the wrong direction. Same for Fang and Friends, of course. If rates go higher, they all need to be sold. If rates go lower, they get bought. How stupid is this? Foolish, stupid, simplistic. Correlation that's come across that doesn't work. Some of these companies are doing much better than others, yet they all trade the same. That's for you to profit from. In the real world, they're different. But in the funny world that represents short-term stock thinking, if we get a steaming hot CPI reading, you're going to see more horror on your screen. So that's why people sold ahead of it. doesn't help that the market's still overboard, according to the oscillator I filed from the S&P. It's hard to be bullish on a day where everything's invisible, goes wrong. That said, if the Fed's going to win its war on inflation, we do need a lot less speculation. Bottom line, this week will be known as the week speculators recognize they've simply been gambling. They got to stop kidding themselves. And they lack even the small edge you can get in blackjack as long as you're sober and the casino doesn't kick you out for counting cards. Let's go to Adam in California. Adam. Hey, Jim. First time caller and long time listener. I want to, oh, shout, out to, you your, I want to shout out to you and your team for everything you guys do. Hopefully uh, we have some brighter investor days on the future. There will be. And thank you for that because we take a lot of heat. But you know what? I don't care. What's up? So I'm expected to be a first-time dad any day now, and I'm looking for a few long-term stock investments for my baby girl's portfolio. My question is about a San Diego-based company here in Carlsbad, California, with another great earnings report, continued expansion into the space, and a stock that looks finally to be bottoming out. Would now be a good time to be throwing a few dollars into mine and my baby girl's future favorite golf company, M-O-D-G, a.k.a. Callaway. Okay, uh, my suggestion is you buy for her, not for you. You're a little bit older. I like the idea of having a starter where you like she likes golf, you like golf. I think it's a good idea. It's a good company. All right, now, if the Fed's going to win its war on inflation, we need to see a lot less speculation. And this week will be known as the week the speculators recognize that they were just gambling all along. Mid money today. Dutch Bros reported after the bell. So our investors ready to take a sip of the annihilator and some other good drinks. I'm running the quarter through with the CEO. Then does CyberArk have what it takes to uh, buck the trend in the tech space? I'm getting the latest from the top brass. And AMC fell today at earnings. So is there more to the story than just being a meme stock? Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO, especially you apes who hate me so much. And again, I don't care. Stay with me. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. All right, what is it gonna take for Dutch bros to find a bottom? The hyper-caffeinated coffee, you know, I like that chain, has seen its stock get hammered over the last few months, including a 9.5% decline today. Yet the company just reported a strong quarter after the close, a top and bottom line beat, management raising their full-year revenue forecast. Very confident. I like the quarter. Don't take it from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to check in with Joth Ricky. He's the president and CEO of Dutch Bros. Take a look. Mr. Ricky, welcome back to Mad Money. How have you been? I've been great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, it looks like once again, slightly better same-store sales, putting that national footprint together. Uh, it does seem to me that things have actually accelerated for you versus the last time we talked. Well, I think it has. You know, I think we've been we've been working hard as a team. We've been you know learning along the way, and you know the market has certainly thrown us a, a variety of challenges here in the last six months but i feel like the team's responded and um you know we're still in a good place and and we really look like we're going to deliver on our plan for this year you had spoken last time about some of your uh afternoon customers being challenged because of higher gasoline also you spoke about higher dairy any good news at all on the inflation front 
Not really. I mean, you know, we're still seeing double-digit increases year over year. It's it's come down slightly, um, but inflation's still there, and it's still something we're after. We are seeing the C market down a little bit. Dairy prices have come down a little bit, but but nothing um, nothing that's providing you know kind of the big relief that that we're looking for, and, and we actually don't see that happening for a while. So you're prepared for that. I mean, not that we want that to happen, but your your customers are okay with it at this point. You guys are okay with it. Doing your best is the way I would put it, right? Doing our best. You know, we took some price uh, in September. Uh, we executed another price increase in early September. We delivered a little, a little, a little over a 4% increase um, on our price. But, you know, that seemed to have flown through pretty well. And we saw, you know, sequential increases in, in same-store sales from July to August to September. Um, you know, 90% of our, of our mix now uh, in that third quarter was cold. Uh, and so we continue to see, a, you know, people coming. We saw high growth in our freeze product, our rebel product, and our day parts uh, really recovered pretty well as, as well. Well, I like that. Now, uh, you did speak uh, two times ago about job hop. You said that that seems to have gotten a little bit better. Are people realizing that maybe it's not going to be as easy to get another job and they ought to stick with you? Well, I, you know, we haven't seen uh, too big of a jump. I mean, third quarter, we see an increase uh, in turnover just because of back to school and right. kind of people getting into the fall swing. But, um, you know, it, it seems to be pretty steady. Uh, we're not seeing, uh, you know, an abnormal run um, uh, of people job hopping. So, you know, maybe that's true. And maybe we'll see that uh, settle down here even more in the fourth quarter. All right, here's a question from my uh, Dutch bros addicted daughter. Uh, she said that she didn't understand why if something was so great in Oregon, it wouldn't work well in Pennsylvania, wouldn't work well in New Jersey, New York. I said, I'd just point blank ask you. Go ahead. <laughs> well, tell her that that um, that a very well run, disciplined business um, is in it for the long haul. And um, and you can't just jump everywhere right away. But I think over the course of time, uh, we'll see what geography um, ends up lending itself to Dutch bros. Um, so, you know, never say never, but it's not in the plan right now. All right. Well, then let me ask you a question. I thought, having been an aficionado, I question what place wouldn't want a Dutch bros. I mean, maybe Alaska if it's really cold. But, you know, frankly, the warm, the hot is just as good as the cold, depending upon the time. Uh, I think that's true. I, I think it's, you know, it's a matter of choices. And, and as I've said from the beginning, I think that we're we're growing based on our people readiness. And, and right. let's not lose sight of the fact that we place our own people in markets to grow Dutch Bros. It's a recipe that's worked for 30 years. It's a recipe that we like. Um, it's a recipe that we think delivers a great Dutch Bros experience. And so, um, you know, we've got to be mindful uh, to make sure that we have people ready to do that and that our organization is ready to support it on the back end. And so far, you know, we're going to add 130 new shops this year. We'll add 150 next year, uh, many of those into new markets. And, and, and it'll be, you know, it'll be great to see that next level of growth as we go into uh, new states like Kentucky and Alabama. Well, look, I'm glad, as I said to the great uh, people Portillo's last night, Wall Street wants you to grow faster than wherever you're growing. If you're adding 15, they want 30. If you're adding 30, they want 60. But the quickest way to crash an organization is to go too soon not and then have to train people who don't know what they're doing. And then suddenly you get a bad reputation. It, it looks to me, from what I can tell, that where you guys go, people like you or else the same store sales wouldn't be doing so, so, so well. 
Yeah, I mean, every every shop we've opened, you know, in the last, you know, really for the most part in the last three years has, has delivered almost 10% higher volume uh, than our average system sales. And we just opened up in San Diego County to arguably one of the largest grand openings we've had in the history of the company. Um, and it delivered one of the largest months of any new store in the history of the company. So, so you know, we're finding uh, that, we, you know, we like our approach. We like our discipline. We do understand that more markets uh, want Dutch bros. But, but, you know, patience is good and patience delivers a good outcome. And I think if you're disciplined about that, it, it proves out very well for the long term. Okay, so, Josh, one of the things that we've been uh, very concerned about is when we look at who, about how you get people to come to work these days. I mean, you got to go. I remember the Dutch bros that we went to were little kiosks. It didn't seem like necessarily the greatest yep. place to work at. Um, do you have to pay people more to be in a kiosk than you would say at a McDonald's? I don't think so. I, you know, I think that the, you know, we're an employee first brand and we're an employee first company. And I think as we talk about the customer experience, I think you also have to value the employee experience as well. And, you know, and, and pay is a tricky word these days. I mean, I right. think that every state is kind of going through their version of that. And, and I think we're being very mindful, you know, really down to what we call our trade zone to make sure that we're competitive on pay and we're delivering a great experience for the employee. And and that's that's really what Dutch Bros is all about. Well, I salute you. You're one of the few companies from a particular vintage uh, uh of IPOs that I know I can get behind because your product is superior and, and what you're doing is people first. I've seen it in action at many different ones. And I know that yeah. that is your commitment. And I want to thank Joth Ricky, CEO of Dutch Brothers. On what I regard, Dutch Bros is another, another good quarter. That's how I'm going to put it, just flat out. Another good quarter from Dutch Bros. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Right. Just like Portillo's, Dutch Bros delivers a quality product at a good price. You could put together a basket of these and do quite well. You don't necessarily have to single out one, but as someone who is, yes, indeed, an aficionado of Dutch Bros and of Portillo's, these are the kinds of companies that I am looking for to grow over multiple years. Stable cramp. Coming up, a winner in the past, this stock has had a year on the rocks. Kramer talks earnings and more with CyberArk next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. The tech 
meltdown over the last couple of weeks finally brought down one of the last remaining areas of relative strength in the software space, cybersecurity. Last Wednesday, Fortinet, you know, a company I like, gave some soft billings guidance, citing economic weakness. Pin action crushed the entire group, including some truly hideous declines for industry leaders like Palo Alto Networks CrowdStrike. But one cybersecurity stock managed to buck the gravitational pull of the group, an old fave. CyberArk Software, which specializes in protecting privileged accounts, basically the keys to the digital kingdom, but also has developed, I think, a super identity security business. Cybersecurity saw its stock jump 11% last Thursday after the company reported an excellent quarter. Clean top and bottom line beat. Strong recurring revenue. Even better, management raised every line of their full-year forecast. Remember those days? With management saying that it saw no real signs of macroeconomic weakness hitting their business. So what makes CyberArk different? Why do they seem to be doing fine, the rest of the industry struggling? Let's take a closer look with Udi Makati. He's the founder, chairman, CEO of CyberArk Software and an old friend of the show. Learn more about the quarter. Udi, I've got to tell you, it seems like things have really shaken out since I've seen you last. It looks like there's some ones you have to have and some ones you just have to be acquainted with. Is that the world that we're in? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Great to be back, Jim. Excuse me. <laughs> great, great to be back in the new studio, and I uh, love the environment uh, here. new studio makes me drop my papers. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I, I think what we're seeing is that, that even cybersecurity, which is relatively a resilient space, is divided into must-have security technologies and, and nice-to-have. And CyberArk is in that must-have category in identity security. It seems to me that the guys who want to get inside are getting smarter and smarter, and you are outsmarting them. I had one the other day. I didn't realize it was part of what you were talking about. We call MFA, where I just got over and said, enough already. They're going to keep hitting me. I'm just going to let them in. This is something you specialize in stopping. One of the drivers is called attacker innovation. The attackers are innovating, and they're, they're looking for new ways. So MFA fatigue is a new way. They'll inundate the user with MFA requests until they just comply. It was one of the ways they got into the Uber breach. And so it's important for organizations to assume that the front door may be open. We have solutions to defending against MFA fatigue and also the defense in depth you need because they're going to go after credentials on the inside once they make it through. Well, how about uh, trying to uh, protect secrets? That seems like a fantastic business for you. Yeah, secrets management is the other dimension. So identity security. I love this. Secrets management. Because we all read at the conference where said, I need to know about secrets management. That's great. So identity security is all about, we talk a lot about human identities, the privileged users, the workforce users. But if you put on these special glasses and you walk around every enterprise out there, you'll see that their machines, their applications are using credentials too. So basically, these are credentials, passwords that machines are using, applications are using. For an attacker, it's the holy grail. It, and actually, when they get that, they get privileged access. So CyberArk, actually, in the same platform, we manage those machine identities, and we call it secrets management. Now, in the time I first met you, you were trying to tell people how important it was. Now, what level do you deal with the companies when you come in? No, it's amazing. This has become a C-level topic, CIO, CSOs, often the board is presented that identity security and privilege access management are one of the pillars that are going to keep them safe. Right. I think it's really grown to be recognized that this is the, the identity is the new perimeter and, and, and the one to defend. Now, I know you can't uh, reveal things that are, are private, but have there been 
big institutions that we know where identities have been stolen and, and bad guys have run, run amok in an institution. Oh, absolutely. There have been. There have been, definitely. I mean, it's happening all the time. Like you said, attackers are innovating. They're trying to get in. And what, once are they, they do, asking they for the fable Bitcoin when they get in? The ransomware attacks are often asking for, for Bitcoin. And ransomware has elevated. It's cross-border. I mean, we, we've even heard of countries. Uh, Costa Rica was taken over by ransomware um, and, and had to defend against that. And so it's, it's rampant. And Bitcoin is part of the, what, what makes it easier for the attack. To go after now, what kind of uh, this movement that you made to be more than just keys to the kingdom, when you moved the identity, how did you have the right people to do identity, or was that part of your natural suite? We, we strategically were looking at it that identity is becoming a security problem. Explain not a identity to people. You and I know it. So explain, uh, what identity is, because yeah, no, it's absolutely. enterprise, but we all have identities. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, so CyberArk started with focusing on the most complex one, the privileged users, the one you, you called it the keys to the IT right. kingdom. They come in, they have broad access. But all of us are users. And, and you look at the workforce employees in any organization and their suppliers and their customers, they're all using identities to get in, use applications, and be part of, of what's driving the business. And so it became a problem that those users also have elevated rights. And the attackers don't just need to get to a privileged user, an IT user, they can get after a regular user. And after going there, they can elevate the attack and take over. And so we strategically decided to expand. Coming in from the, as the experts in the most complex part of the identity problem, let's expand to all types of users. Well, isn't there some personal responsibility on the part of the individual works at a company? Yes, there is. And, there, and I think there are good people out there and they're trying and there's a lot of training involved. Um, but we have to make it easier for them. We have to make it so that it's, uh, they, they can do what they need to do to, to get their job done. They need to be educated that attackers are trying to trick them. But we have to give them those solutions that will identify anomalies and say, this is actually not Jim. This is uh, somebody trying to imposter. And that's part of the identity security uh, solution. Now, I know that you, have, uh, you do a lot of work with AWS. But do you work with CrowdStrike? And do you work with Palo Alto, two of our favorites? Yeah, we, we actually have this ecosystem. We call it the C-Cube Alliance with over 200 partners because we believe that security is a team game. We have a lot of integrations in place, including with Palo Alto and with CrowdStrike, that, so that when we come to a customer, we say 1 plus 1 equals 11. We're actually going to be stronger together with these integrations. Well, I have followed your career for many, many years. There are very few survivors who might just seem like a buyer running a bank. Holy cow, I'd have to bring you in very early because the one thing I never want to come in is discover that, my, that someone robbed my bank from the inside. Absolutely. And people are trying at all times, aren't they? Absolutely. And that's why we're mission-driven. We're growing our team and we're growing our customer footprint and to really make an impact on our customers. Well, you've been spot on the whole way. I want to thank one. Thank Udi Makati. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of CyberArk, CYBR. We have liked these guys from the beginning because we think that no one else knows how to do what they do best. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, it's showtime. The movie biz is changing. What's this meme stock doing to keep up with the times? AMC next. One by one, the most egregious areas of excess are being drained from the market, including today, from cryptocurrencies, meme stocks, and though it that includes one that you may own called AMC Entertainment. Now, the movie theater chain that nearly went out of business during the pandemic, but was saved. It was saved by the unbridled enthusiasm of retail investors who believe in the man we're about to interview and the concept. More than any other company, AMC and its management have embraced the memesters, the apes as they call themselves, with open arms. 
gave away NFTs. They let you pay with Dogecoin. They even issued a special dividend to shareholders in the form of a publicly traded preferred stock that trades under the app ticker APE. But ever since the ape monkey business in August, the stock has been it's been hard to own. Plunged from $18 down to $5 and change, not like many other speculative stocks. Today, it dropped in nearly 8%, with the ape shares down about 19%. After the company reported a mixed quarter, there's some real issues in the industry. Even when you add in the ape shares, which have sunk to just over a dollar, you still only got about six bucks at six and a half bucks. While AMC gave you a top and bottom line beat, they also burned a lot more cash than some analysts expected. Worrisome because they took on a ton of debt during the pandemic, but they saved the company. So what the heck do you do with AMC stock going forward? Will they be okay if they need to raise more money from the apes down the line, or is the balance sheet okay? Let's take these questions directly to the architect of AMC's survival plan, successful survival plan. And this is Adam Aaron. He's the chairman and CEO of AMC Entertainment. Mr. Aaron, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's always a pleasure to be with you. You know that. Thank you, Adam. Well, you've got some good news coming up. You've got Wakanda Forever. And it looks like this may be one of the biggest movies in history. And that can really help your bottom line. Well, that's true. I'm actually wearing a Disney tie today because tomorrow Disney is giving us Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I think it's going to come in as the second biggest movie of the year. Of course, uh, uh, we'll, we'll all find out together. But we, we know we're sitting on frothy, robust, advanced bookings. We think this is going to be a very successful movie. Well, I think that one of the things that I mentioned in my opening, things have been tough. You mentioned Point Blank. You say you need more movies. You don't make the movies. But it does seem like the number of movies are down big. And I, frankly, I don't get it. Because you prove without a doubt in your conference call that it is better to release a movie to the theater than it is to go this direct-to-consumer. What is taking them so long to realize how rabid customers are for more movies? That is one good question. What is taking them so long giving us more movies? Uh, because, you know, if you, you know, if you go back in time when people were afraid to go out of their homes, like we understood it then, but that's not where we are in America these days. That's not where we are across the globe. Uh, life ha- is returning to normal. And if you actually look at movies on a per-title basis, they're doing very well. People are coming out to our theaters. We're going to prove that again this weekend with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, but the number of releases that has come out of all the major Hollywood studios combined is down still about 20 to 30 percent below pre-pandemic norms. Now, what they tell us is that these are all the production delays that were caused during the height of COVID. It does take about two years to make a major motion picture. So we're hearing that all the studios, I don't want to say all, but right. you know, most of the studios are scrambling to dramatically increase the count of theaters, uh, uh, theatrically released movies. We're expecting the movie count in 2023 to be significantly greater than in 2022, and again in 2024, uh, more than in 2023. That's good news for us. The more movies that are released theatrically, the more people will be in our theaters. All right, now let's talk about what you've done for the company and for the stock and see how people realize the company is going to go bust. You saved the company. The stock went up a great deal. You did sell stock. Now, what was amazing to me was that you went on TV to me. You said, listen, I'm selling stock for my family. Uh, you didn't tell people, and I think everybody should, because that's not your job. And you even make that point again. Your job is to run the business, not to run the stock. But the stock has come down a great deal. 
And I, I know you don't want that. You want people to make as much money as possible. Uh, what do people do? They got the additional preferred. I mean, they've been hurt by really the slate has been so low. But you told them kind of what you were doing. It, can you buy more? What do you do to show them what you're doing now? Because I know you're not giving up. Well, actually, uh, let's talk about what I'm going to do. I said publicly in January of 2022 that I was done selling. I am AMC's largest individual shareholder, if you take out institutions. Uh, I run this company. It's a 24-7 passion. I'm optimistic for its long-term health. But as you said earlier, my job is to run the company. It's up to the markets to decide what our share price will be. And look, I'm not surprised that things have been tough over the past 90 days. Look at what has gone on. Um, uh, energy prices are soaring because of the Ukraine war. That's causing inflation to soar. That's causing interest rates to rise. You combine that with the fact that the second largest player in our industry, Cineworld in Europe, Regal in the United States, filed for bankruptcy protection in early September because it ran out of cash. And that take all that together, that's a lot of noise around um, uh, stocks in general and AMC stock in particular. But we're a very different company than Center World. We ended the third quarter with $900 million of liquidity. We also introduced the ape preferred stock in August. Uh, we have the ability to raise additional capital as needed uh, because apes exist. Um, and so I'm very optimistic about AMT's long-term future. Uh, sooner or later, that's going to be reflected in the share price, we hope. But it is difficult to restrain some of your followers' enthusiasm. For instance, obviously, if you bought Ape the first day at 10, you can't be, uh, you can't be happy. Uh, you do have to have discipline. I know you believe away from your business. You are a disciplined allocator of capital. And I, I hope you will tell your investors here, look, it's terrific to get excited about the popcorn or about Highcroft, the, the gold mine. But the most important thing they should do is perhaps be diversified. Understand that owning AMC can be part of a larger portfolio. Don't put all of your money in the AMC basket. Well, look, it's not my job to give financial advice, but the basic rule of investing is to diversify your assets. No one should have all their eggs in one basket. Uh, and that's as true with AMC Entertainment as anything else. That doesn't speak to the issue of whether AMC is a good investment or a bad investment. Um, you know, if your buy-in price to AMC was $1.91, which is where our stock was trading 22 months ago, you're doing pretty well. If your buy-in price uh, was $60 a share uh, in June of 2021, obviously we're way below that. Uh, but again, our job is to run the company. And as you said, this company was facing very tough challenges. Right back in 2020. And we're not all the way through the pandemic yet. Uh, movie going, because of the reduced number of titles that you talked about, uh, movie going is still down below pre-pandemic norms. But when you look at what's happened to the size of our industry, the, the box office crashed in 2020 because of the pandemic. But in 2021, it more than doubled. In 2022, when the year is over, I think we'll see that the box office for the industry is up almost 75%. We forecasted on our earnings call yesterday that we think that the industry box office will be up to by 15 to 25%, maybe even more than that 
in 2023. Uh, some of our competitors are struggling while AMC is healthy. Right. I think we're going to be picking up more theaters as a result of some of the financial troubles of our competitors. We're also doing things outside of movie making. You know, you talked about popcorn and credit cards and Highcroft, right. the gold and silver mine, which, by the way, just found a lot more gold and silver in them than our hills in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but we announced on Monday a new partnership with Zoom to introduce what right. we're calling Zoom Rooms and AMC to uh, to go after the multi-billion dollar meetings market using our theaters as a place to gather linked up by Zoom technology. There's a lot that's happening. It's, there's a lot that's good. we got a long way to go, but um, well, uh, that's what keep, makes a horse race. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. And I'm glad you explained diversification. That's not your job, I know, but I don't like pe- Neither one of us want to see people get hurt. And I'm glad you're still on Twitter. Obviously, Twitter's got some value. I, I hope that people stay on it. And he should call you. Elon Musk should should call you for advice because you're the best guy I know to go to. I want to thank Adam. Well, before you hang up, before you hang up on me, Jim, I want to say something back. Uh I know you take some heat from our apes on Twitter. It's sort of a sport they have. But uh, I think you're an incredibly accomplished and polished uh, investor. uh, And I always look forward to hearing what you have to say. Adam, thank you very much. You're a good man. Thank you. That's Adam Aaron, Chairman CEO of AMC Entertainment. Thank you for coming. Yeah, I'm going to be back in. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, turn the lightning round. Let's start with Hassan. Hassan in Georgia. Hassan. What are your thoughts on Northern Oil Gas Incorporated? Take a symbol in OG. I know, Nog, it's not a quality oil company. I would rather see it in a Chevron. I'd rather see it in something that right now works that I have that I have total conviction total conviction because it's gonna get a tough market again. Robert in New York, Robert. Hey Jim, it's Robert from Rochester, New York. How are you? Go birds. Go birds, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Even up there we got friends. What's up? Yeah, anyways, uh just quick uh company has little to no competition, Axon Enterprises. All right, now, when up usual in the election, I think, therefore, it's going to go down. And I don't like, I haven't liked Axon. Everyone knows I've liked them probably around since 16. But let it come down. It's up 21 points. That's way too high. Now let's go to Anita in Iowa. Anita. Belugent, holding or selling? You know, that's a cheap stock. I don't get it. They're making money. They got some good technology. I think we hold on to that. And I'm going to ask my uh, my friend and colleague Ben Stoto to do more work with me on that. Well, come on. That's it. We're just getting started. How about Don in my home state of New Jersey? Don. Hey, Jim. Um, Don. Fellow graduate of Springfield Township High School here. Get out of town. Go Spartans to the championship. What's happening? How about that, huh? Uh, Jim, I want to get your opinion on energy transfer, ET. Can't fight the tape anymore. Energy transfer, Kelsey Warren's magic pulled off. The stock's going higher. It's got a nice yield. I do like the pipeline companies very much. ET's a win. Let's go to Trent in Florida. Trent! 
Hello, Jim. Trent here, first-time caller from Clearwater, Florida, home of the spring training Philadelphia Phillies. Jack Tar, yeah, let's get him. What's going on? Hey, your thoughts on a stock that seems to be under the radar. However, you do have a lot of respect for the CEO. The stock is Tellurian, T-E-L-L. All right, now, remember, we got to be careful. The CEO is not that's uh, not Sharif. Sharif is the chairman, uh, Sharif Suki. I believe that it is a call option on natural gas. It's a call option. Identify it as that. And that. Legend. Good. Other. Lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, billionaires beware. Poof went mountains of paper wealth this week. Where did it go? Stick with Kramer. couple of days for billionaires, I'd say. Turns out Sam Bankman-Fried, the so-called J.P. Morgan of cryptocurrency, has gone from being worth $26 billion at one point to allegedly having almost nothing brought down by reports of a liquidity crisis. That was easy. Ouch! Apparently one of the major components of this balance sheet was a coin of his own creation. Now, we all love to print our own money. Unfortunately, it's only worth something if other people want it. Call me crazy. But maybe putting a huge chunk of your net worth into, say, Monopoly money? Bad idea. I don't know how Bankman-Fried, or SBF as they call him, will get out of this jam. His outfit, uh, the FTX cryptocurrency exchange, was the most powerful force in all of crypto land, having rolled up and rescued a series of other firms. Yes, there was supposed to be a bailout deal with Binance. That's a crypto exchange run by CZ, also known as Xinping Zhao. But that apparently imploded this very evening. It doesn't sound like you could be resurrected. You know, I've been thinking, kind of a story in buff here. Almost went, you know, I almost became professor of history. People don't know that. I'm putting that out there. This whole saga makes me think of Jay Gould and Jim Fisk, a pair of financiers who tried to corner the gold market way back in 1869, only to see their plan collapse when then-President Grant had the Treasury flood the market with gold. Their broken conspiracy precipitated what was known as Black Friday in 1869. That's one of the worst financial panics America's ever had. Militias deployed to prevent bank runs, many banks closing. Now, I mentioned Gould and Fist because they remind me of SBF and CZ, who seem to have more or less cornered the Bitcoin market with the same disastrous outcome, at least for crypto. Now, it's not going to bring the whole economy down, though. I know people want to say it. I bring up the 1869 because that was the worst, and that was gold. That was a corner. This is not going to be like that. Okay, there are similarities, but it's not. Like gold back then, crypto is probably unregulated, though. In fact, the regulators have been steadfast in their ignorance of this dark financial underworld. Bitcoin is now back down to under 16,000, where it was in November 2020, after trading as high as 68,000 a year ago. That's called a decline. If the reports are true that Binance has given up on buying FTX, I think crypto might be revealed as fool's gold. (laughs) However, I want to make this real clear. Unlike Black Friday of 1869, once again, because I'm making this point, I do not expect to see a collapse of national proportions. Meanwhile, Elon Musk, richest man in the world, had to sell $3.95 billion worth of Tesla in order to help fund his, what I'm now thinking is disastrous acquisition of Twitter. Now he's just throwing good money after bad. Tesla's a profitable gem with an amazing, amazing growth. Stock's out of style right now, but long term, it's a great business. 
Twitter, on the other hand, was a stagnant company back when it was publicly traded. And now that Musk loaded up with debt to fund his leveraged buyout, it must be losing a fortune. I think he can probably salvage something. But he also seems uniquely ill-suited to running a social media company. Too high profile. In the end, there's just no clear-cut solution for what sure looks like something Musk bought. Kind of in like, I don't know, what do you call it? A, a fit of peak? You know, that's the P-I-Q-U-E kind. Finally, there are the travails of Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I know you're not supposed to ever say, have the word travails with rich people, but humor me. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Meta platforms. Meta's actually making a ton of money. But Zuckerberg wants to bet the whole company on the highly ethereal metaverse. Nice work. Today, he laid off 13% of his workforce, or 11,000 people, because he wants to get expenses under control, which is something I've been begging him to do. This is a new position for him, though. The losses remain huge for the metaverse, but at least the rest of the operations being reined in. Zuckerberg admitted it was his fault. He owned the mistake, and he wants to do better. I hard him for that. He recognized that he got his projections dead wrong coming out of the pandemic, so he's changing course, even as it's real tough to lay off 11,000 people. They got to start learning how to do that out west. Even then, Zuckerberg gave one of the most generous layoff packages I have ever seen. I say good for him. No, none, none of these billionaires needs to go play Powerball to restore their wealth. And again, none of them is going to go bring down the whole economy like Black Friday in 1869. But if the government doesn't step in to regulate crypto, the next domino to fall might cause an even bigger collapse of what increasingly feels like a business based on alchemy and funny money. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.